Welcome to the 99 Topics for the CCFP Exam podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Brady Bouchard. This one's going to be nice and short and sweet. Uh, it's a common presentation to the emergency department, and it's really lovely when you can help out these patients because they're commonly freaking out a little bit. Epistaxis, or nosebleeds. So there's seven key features in this topic. The first one is, through history and physical exam, assess the hemodynamic stability of patients with epistaxis. Number two, while attending to active nosebleeds, recognize and manage excessive anxiety in the patient and accompanying family. In a patient with an active or recent nosebleed, obtain a focused history to identify possible etiologies. So for example, recent trauma, recent upper respiratory tract infection, or medications they might be on. In a patient with an active or recent nosebleed, look for and identify anterior bleeding sites and stop the bleeding with appropriate methods. And in a patient with ongoing or recurrent bleeding in spite of treatment, consider a posterior bleeding site. In a patient with a nosebleed, obtain lab work only for specific indications. So for example, the hemodynamically unstable patient, uh, if there's suspicion of a bleeding diathesis or use of anticoagulation, And last but not least, in a patient with a nosebleed, provide thorough aftercare instructions. So for example, how to stop subsequent nosebleeds, when to return to the office or the ED, humidification, etc. So, epistaxis, bleeding from the nose, causes and risk factors. So in most cases, you're not going to figure out a specific cause. It's not identified. Commonly, it's multifactorial. So nose picking is super common. The dry air and sinus infections do it. So particularly in northern Canada, winter time, kids picking their nose, they've been outside all day in the dry air, and maybe they've been sick recently and are getting sinus issues, super common trigger. Um, Other triggers, facial trauma of any kind, for obvious reasons, foreign bodies, especially in children, um, old nasal fractures or septal deviations, so if they have anatomical defects that predispose them to this, and environmental factors. So we talked about cold weather, low humidity is a big one, um, and high flow unhumidified air. So that's a iatrogenic cause in the hospital. Other iatrogenic causes, an NG or NJ tube insertion, for obvious reasons, and nasotracheal intubation. Uh, Drugs can cause it, so snorting cocaine, it's a potent vasoconstrictor, and dries out the nasal mucosa. Nasal steroids will do it for the same reason, but less dramatically. Uh, Nasal decongestants, antihistamines, anticoagulants, so warfarin and the NOAX, the novel oral anticoagulants. And then, of course, if the patient has a coagulopathy, they're more likely to bleed everywhere, including the nose. So renal failure, von Willebrand's disease, hemophilia, liver failure, cirrhosis, etc. And hypertension is listed as a cause, but rarely a cause. So the physiology of epistaxis... Almost all of them are anterior bleeds. So at Kesselbach's plexus in Little's area, um, 90% of them. 10% of them will be posterior bleeds. And usually you don't need to consider these up front. Um, There are some clinical signs that can point to one or the other. But usually you treat it as an anterior bleed. And if it's not getting better, if it keeps on happening again, then you can start considering a posterior bleed. Um, And most of these will need help from ENT. Management of epistaxis in general, good effective first aid to stop 90% of these, um, even before they come to the emergency department, if you have a patient that's educated or has had these before. Um, and even in the emergency department, effective first aid is the first step. So in any bleeding patient, 
always start with ABCs. Commonly, these epistaxis are not significantly compromising the patient, but you need to consider it. So airway, is the patient speaking? Is their voice garbled? A noisy airway is an included airway. And in breathing, if they're talking to you, they're obviously breathing. If they walked into the emergency department, they're obviously breathing. And then vitals as well. So get a blood pressure, heart rate, uh, oxygen saturation. And at this point, quickly assess for significant volume loss or anemia as well. If they're lightheaded, syncopal, if they collapsed, came in by EMS. If they're unconscious, then obviously you have bigger concerns than just a simple nosebleed. So if that's all out of the way and they do have a simple nosebleed and are hemodynamically stable, uh, get some history from them. So duration and estimate of volume. So how much have they bled? Uh, did they bring in the soaked rags or tissues or clothes that they were bleeding on? Usually patients are going to significantly overestimate this. So if you can get everything that they bled on or everything that they bled into, it can give you a better idea of how much they've actually been bleeding. Uh, duration as well. Patients will overestimate this. If you've had a nosebleed for five minutes, it feels like forever because it just won't stop. Has this occurred before? If so, how was it managed? Have they needed to come to the emergency department before? Have they needed you know, more major interventions? Do they have a history of anything that may, would make you worried around this? So bleeding dyscrasias, previous transfusions, anticoagulation. Do they have any significant past medical history that might contribute to this? And what are their current medications? Then for physical exam, honestly, up front, I wouldn't examine them, especially if the bleeding is not severe. Give basic first aid a try at stopping it before you examine them at all. Uh, the physical exam, especially to look in the nares and look for the source of bleeding, is going to be very difficult if there's ongoing bleeding anyways. Uh, and we'll talk about what the first aid measures are shortly. So on physical exam, if you are going to attempt it, so try to identify a site of bleeding. Um, is it anterior or posterior? If you can find the source of bleeding, if you can see the site of bleeding just with an otoscope or a torchlight, then it's obviously anterior and that's reassuring. Bilateral bleeding without explanatory trauma is more likely to be posterior. So if they're bleeding out of both nares, it's more likely to be coming posteriorly. Uh, use a nasal speculum if you have one, if, if available. If you can't see an anterior bleed uh, and start looking further back, this physical exam is uncomfortable while you're doing it, so it's important to consider attempting anterior nasal cautery while you're examining as well. The nasal cautery we typically have available here is silver nitrate, although there is little evidence that cautery makes a difference to epistaxis. There's a link in the study notes to that. So investigations only generally needed if there's evidence of or a risk of significant bleeding or they have symptoms of hypovolemia or unstable otherwise. Um, investigations you would consider then would be a complete blood count, including hematocrit and hemoglobin, a blood group and hold, uh, and coagulation studies, including PT, INR, and APTT. And then on to the basic first aid. This is what you're usually going to do first up before physical exam, uh, after you've done the ABCs and are satisfied that they're hemodynamically stable for the moment. So these patients are anxious. Their families are anxious if they're accompanying them. Um, it looks like they're dying because they've bled all over their clothes and they've bled all over tissues and they have blood on their face and they have blood in their hands. The biggest thing you can do here is decreasing the anxiety. Find a calm area of the office or the emergency department, get them to sit down um, and talk to them in calm voice. And in the best first day they can do for themselves is while you're talking to them in a calm voice, have the patient lean forward and apply pressure by pinching the anterior aspect of both nares between the patient's fingers. Um, and if the patient's unwilling to do it, then you can jury rig 
uh, tongue depressors for it, and we have a link to that as well in the study notes. And get them to lean forward, pinch their nares right uh, in front of the bone, and do that for at least 15 minutes. Tell them not to release, not to do anything. They can talk to their family if they want to. They got to keep head down, and they got to keep that nose pinched. Like I said previously, this is the very basic of first aid, and patients can do it at home. And that's why it's important that you do it in the office in the emergency department, because you show them how to deal with it on their own after they're discharged. 90% of the time, this is going to work. If it doesn't work, then there's some other interventions you can try. So chemical cautery with silver nitrate sticks can be attempted, although there's poor evidence that this works. Um, it obviously only works on anterior bleeds. Please don't try sticking one of these sticks posteriorly in the nares. Um, and you shouldn't attempt to cauterize bleeding in both nares as well, because you risk a septal perforation, because it actually does burn, and the septum can be quite thin on certain people and in certain areas of it. I would suggest trying suction first in order to dry out the area. Silver nitrate works best when the area is moist, but not flooded with blood. When you're using the sticks, apply them for about five seconds at a time. Look for that black eschar to develop, and this is usually readily evident around the stick. Electrocautery is another effective tool, but I would leave this for the ENTs. I don't know about you, but I don't really feel comfortable burning somebody's septum without ENT support. Something you can do in the emergency department before that, before you call ENT, is vasoconstrictive agent. So look around in the emergency department and see what you have available. Every emergency is different, but any vasoconstrictive agent in theory should work. Topical lidocaine, uh, the cocaine sprays or adrenaline sprays are great. Um, if you don't have the sprays, soaking a cotton pledget um, in 2% lidocaine with epi works as well. So put the pledget in the nose and then soak the pledget with the 2% with epi. But be aware that there's a risk of aspiration in those patients with an altered level of consciousness. So I wouldn't do this if the patient's not totally with it. Suction should be available and can be used to clear clots and aid in visualization. Um, you should probably use it before using the silver nitrate. And if vasoconstrictors and cautery fails, anterior packing is probably required. Again, it's whatever you have in the department. Uh, Vaseline impregnated ribbon gauze um, is super uncomfortable to insert, um, but is effective. The cotton nasal tampons that go by various brand names work great, in my opinion. And the nice thing is that they insert very thinly and essentially don't irritate the the nares or the nasal cavity much and then they swell up and do their job afterwards so you're putting less volume in there initially so that's interior bleeds onto posterior bleeds these are usually difficult to manage um, they don't respond to the normal first aid and treatment if they do respond they usually reoccur or they weren't really treated in the first place and the patient was sent home and comes back um, analgesia is generally required when packing the posterior nares just because it's so uncomfortable so if you're really in a bind and ENT is not available and they're bleeding significantly, a double balloon catheter is best, but a Foley catheter can work as well. So a 14 or 16 French Foley catheter with a 30 mil balloon is something you can try. I've never done it personally. Um, but generally all these patients need to be admitted and seen by ENT, both for initial management and for follow-up. Again, for the anterior bleeds that uh, have stopped and you're getting ready to discharge these patients home, Mostly, epistaxis comes down to education for patients. So the, the way you stop patients from presenting to the emergency department again with their second or third or fourth uh, nosebleed is to discuss the common precipitating factors with the patient. So tell them that, you know, dry air makes it worse. Um, allergies, especially rhinitis, 
combined with dry air makes it worse. Repeated trauma, so nose picking. I mean, most people know that, but if they're having nosebleeds and it keeps on happening and they're a significant nose picker, they need to stop that. And of course, coagulopathies, if they have a super therapeutic INR, you need to deal with that. So you should advise the patient in the first few hours after going home to keep the area moist and avoid repeated trauma. So nose picking, obviously, but also nose blowing. You can consider applying Vaseline topically twice a day to the area to keep it moist. Uh, using a humidifier while sleeping, and consider temporarily stopping the anticoagulant if super therapeutic, obviously. So advise the patient that most nosebleeds will resolve with just basic first aid and to give them at least 15 minutes of good tamponade of their nares. Um, advise the patient to return if significant ongoing bleeding, so if it lasts for more than an hour, if they're worried about associated symptoms, so shortness of breath, if there's syncopal and new palpitations, then obviously they should come back. They should stop NSAIDs if they're on them uh, for two to three days to allow the nosebleed to heal. And something that is controversial that used to be standard practice is antibiotic uh, coverage for staff if you've had to pack um, their nose. So the packing should be removed within about 48 to 36 hours, but it's actually kind of controversial whether antibiotics make any difference, and there's a link to that in the study notes. I'll let you make up your mind on that. And that's it for Epsis Taxes. Thanks for joining us this week. We should be back fairly regularly from now on. We're going to jump around with a few topics. We have a few residents uh, tackling topics that they've chosen. If you're a resident out there and you'd like to help come up with a script and study notes for the podcast, I'd love to have you. Um, happy to have you co-host the podcast as well if you'd like to be a little bit famous among residents across Canada. And if not, um, thanks for joining me today. Any feedback, love to hear from you. You can find me on Twitter at uh, Brady Bouchard or fire off an email from the website. Have a great day, guys.